Okay, uh, my name is Paul Locke. I'm the Managing Director of Pan-Asian Metals. Pan-Asian Metals is a Southeast Asian focused battery and criti critical metals explorer. Our key project is the Rion Kiet Lithium Project, which is located about 30 minutes out of Phuket in Thailand. We've just delivered our inaugural mineral resource estimate, 10.4 million tonnes at 0.44% Li2O. Uh, for about a contain, contained uh, LC of 113,000 tonnes. We're about halfway through the drill program, so we expect a, uh, uh, an upgrade to the MRE later this year. Okay, um, Paul, um, thanks for coming on the show. Um, first time we've met with Spoken, so can I always love a new story. Uh, congrats on the uh, maiden resource. Um, I think that's um, something we want to kind of dive into. I think you, you said that you're, you were um, hoping for something like this. You, you, you're obviously pleased with what you came, came out with, are you? Uh, yeah, very pleased. So um, we, we're targeting an initial um, uh, resource, uh, which is sufficient to produce 10,000 tonnes of uh, LCE. We're not sure whether it'll be carbonate or hydroxide. So LCE for 10 years. Um, we've got 113,000 tonnes contained. Um, the drilling pattern's pretty tight, so I expect the conversion to a reserve to be um, fairly high. Uh, we're only halfway through the drill pattern, so um, the program, so I expect that um, we will increase that substantially over the uh, coming months. Okay, so uh, let, let's dig, also dig into that because I'm sort of intrigued when, you know, the, the, the uh, technical skills needed to kind of move through to the kind of hydro hydroxides. Um, uh, is, is, is meaningful. So, um, let, let, maybe let's start with that. Let, let's start with you and the, <clears throat> and the team. So I can understand sort of backgrounds relevant to what you're trying to do here. So what have you done in the past that's relevant? Oh, I'm extremely relevant. Um, I, I, I actually, I grew up in Perth and I used to work on exploration drilling rigs. So, um, out of school, I was a driller, but then I went and studied and I became a banker. So, I'm so sorry. So I, I used to trade commodities with Rothschild, and then I was a project financier with one of Australia's largest project banks, um, called Commonwealth Bank. And I uh, was involved in a lot of uh, project financings and then um, went out on my own and uh, basically over time built PAM. So PAM itself, uh, there's um, two executive directors, David Hobby and myself. So I'm a... Um, a, a banker, project financier, advisor. David's a, a career economic geologist, and the two of us work quite, quite well together in identifying um, projects. So we've been working together for nearly ten years, and then our team on the ground is um, because we're in Thailand, they're all Thai. So um, other than uh, David and myself, we've got a, a local team, which has really paid off through COVID. We we were drilling the entire way through. The COVID, um, uh, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. Okay, I always love when people say an economic geologist. I assume there's probably some on economics ones somewhere. Um, oh, I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're right. Yeah. <laughs> more, more, more common than you think. Um, well, look. Um, okay, so so there's the team. Talk to me about Thailand, okay? Because um, I, I, I've actually holidayed down in Rayavadi near where um, your projects or close-ish to where your projects are. It seems very green. They, they, the ecology is uh, important to them. Environment Environmental, important, doing business down there. What's it like? Um, actually, in Southeast Asia, I would re regard Thailand as one of the easiest countries um, from a licensing perspective. 
Um, we've worked in just about every country in Southeast Asia or ASEAN. Um, the tie, uh, the ties are very focused on maintaining a, a, a green strip, so on ecology and, and forestry. And when you initially apply for an exploration license, it takes some time and they carve out all of these forest reserve areas, et cetera, before you get your license. Um, so when people look at our uh, presentation, they'll see the application areas and some of the borders will look like a river or they're just all over the joint. And that's because they're cutting out areas which are in land reform, so are being converted to freehold, they cut out forestry, etc. So when we get our license on day one, we can drill holes, etc. We don't have to get permits or anything like that. So it takes time, but then we can hit the ground running pretty hard. Um, and uh, uh, in the end, if you're working in Australia, it's about the same time to get a drill rig on the ground. It's just that we don't have a license for some of that. Okay, and so, so I, I've I've not done business in Thailand. I've done work in Indonesia, which is was extremely hard and laborious, and quite frankly, um, too hard for us. We 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 had to move. We had to leave. <laughs> um, you you're saying this is one of the easiest um, countries in the region. So you talk to me about the number of permits that you do need to get in place to be able to start a business up and you know how much money was that and how much time are we actually talking about? Well, to get an exploration permit is reasonably cheap. Um, so our permits are limited to 16 square kilometres, but we can have as many as we want. So the real Kep project is a, um, it is three uh, permits for a total of around just over 40 square kilometres. A Kaohsiung tungsten project is, um, uh, I think it's uh, three, two to three. Um, our Katatong project, which is under application, is actually five permits, but they're not all uh, joining. So uh, the cost of the permit uh, is quite low. I, I can't give you a dollar number right now, but it, it's not material. But in Thailand, you have mandatory expenditure requirements. And what they're trying to do is stop uh, people sitting on uh, licenses um, to bring in, you know, to earn money. So in Australia, we've got a big problem here. We've got people who've been sitting on licenses for 10, 15 years and nothing really happens. In Thailand, we have to spend money. It escalates. Licenses are five years long. But if you're serious about exploration, your the cost of producing a mineral, mineral resource will be well over what your mandatory expenditure is. So they're not... Um, they're not too harsh, but you've got to be serious about what you're doing. And what it means is that as soon as you know a property's no good, there's no use holding onto it and waving a flag. You want to get rid of it. Right. Okay. So look, you're, you're obviously, um, you know, building this company into a thematic, the EV thematic strong, um, wherever you go, Asia, Europe, uh, North America. Um, have you, have you worked in this space before? Have you worked in with, with in lithium before? Because um, it's, no, it's a very technical metal, right? So that's what I'm sort yeah, of ge gearing yeah. up to. You've got to be able to work out how do you insert yourself into one of those ecosystems. So, you know. Yes. Look, um, I haven't, but I've worked in lithium as long as most of the people who have worked in lithium. So if we look at it that way, back in 2016 when the boom started, that's when we had less than four companies on the ASX at, uh, at the end of 2015, you know, including Oracobra and Galaxy. By late 2016, we had 70. Um, and then there was a bit of a washout and most of those companies disappeared and had nothing to show for it. Um, and then we're on our second wave now. Um, 
where our application actually was initially lodged uh, in 2016 and uh, we've moved along with the market and the knowledge development in that time. But uh, I agree with you 100% that lithium is a technical metal and, um, and you need some skill sets. Um, so once you get to a resource, where, where do we go and how do we do it? And we've actually engaged um, a guy called uh, Grant Harmon. Uh, he's from Perth. Uh, he's a, a chemist. He was involved with Talisons. He's uh, back in the early day, he's been involved in um, about 20 lithium processing projects, including um, the POSCO project at JB with uh, PLS. Um, and he's been involved in several different chemistries. So we've got lipidolite, he's been involved with lipidolites and wold art, uh, spodumene, uh, brines. Um, so um, at the end of the day, he, he really does have a good idea of where we can go and what we can do uh, with the mineralogy that we have. Right, okay. So it's you're also kind of small company, right? So where, where are we with, with money at the moment? How much have you got? Uh, we raised, um, we IPO'd in late 2020, raising just over $4 million, October 2020. In August 2021, uh, we raised $8 million. Um, and uh, at the end of March this year, um, we had $6 million cash. Our burn rate is about a million uh, per quarter. Right. So, so what's the? I'm, I'm sort of intrigued. Okay. Right. So we're we're in the um, EV thematic. We've got lithium in Thailand. You're saying there's a good jurisdiction in which to operate. You've got a big local local team as well, and you run out of. So where where are you based? Sorry. Uh, so Pam is Pam is a Singapore based company. Got it. Okay. Uh, but our head office is in Bangkok. Okay. Okay. And you're in Australia, presumably. Yeah. Um, I live in Sydney, but I'm up there half my time. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so six million bucks. Um, how do you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the, you know small companies. Maybe you know you could argue you know cash constrained or need to be a little bit smarter with how they allocate their their capital and on what because um, the you know, lithium price is um, going on a tear at the moment. People you know are looking at the at lithium how you kind of move this thing forward. So maiden resource today. That's a good statement of intent. Didn't have you had much of a reaction from the market to that? So with regards to cash um, and, and it's, it's, it's quite tricky, um, you, want to, you want some deliverables, you want to build in your value before your next raise. So our last raise was at 40 cents. Our first raise, IPO, was at 20 cents. Um, given where we are and if I look at our peer group, um, I think we're undervalued and I expect that um, with what we deliver in the next six months, we should see our, our valuation uh, materially higher. Uh, so we would be angling to position the company um, to be rate, uh, for our next raise to be at a higher level, of course. Um, we look at our peer group pretty closely. Uh, so we don't really want to, um, I don't really want to uh, see our company pumped and dumped and have a whole heap of disgruntled shareholders on board. Um, but I want to see value uh, the value of the company uh, increase as we add value to our resource. Okay, so as, as a finance guy, you must be looking at this market and going, whatever we say, whatever we put out, it's, it's going to get you're going to get a shrug of the shoulders because everyone's risk off, everyone's cash in hand. It, 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 it seems. Were you tempted to kind of delay the the maiden resource? Um, look, um, when we delivered the maiden resource last week, um, the market didn't react. And if we look at the market generally over the last, we had 
the uh, tech issue, Ukraine, um, interest rates now, uh, and a lot of the market's been sold off. Actually, I think the average in the peer group I follow, which is about 80 companies, I think the average is around, uh, it's over 50% sell-off since their peak. Um, we're off around, um, depending on the day, between 10 and 20%, and we're holding up pretty well. I think that says um, a lot about us. We've been fairly conservative um, uh, with our valuation and so on. And it also means that we weren't way overvalued. Some of these companies were uh, way overvalued. So Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting viewing for, for, for sure. People getting a little bit excited. Um, I, I don't mind a shakeout. I don't mind these sort of market yeah. shakeouts. I think it sorts them in from the boys and um, hopefully people focus on fundamentals. So um, l- let's look at what you've got. So um, main resource, fantastic. More joining to come. And you can, there's going to be an update when, did you think? Uh, look, I expect an update um, November or December latest. Okay. Uh, so with our resource, our resource was based on uh, holes 1 to 46 at Rion Kiet. Uh, we're on holes 72 and 70, 73 and 74 at the moment. We have two rigs running uh, and we've got another 20 holes planned. Uh, half of those holes are uh, infill, the other half are extent, extensional. So we're still open a long stripe to the north and south and down dip. Um, and then we'll be moving across to another prospect, Bangi Tum. Uh, we'll be putting a mineral resource um, uh, or exploration target out of that just to give some guidance about what we think about it. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see our tons uh, nearly double, if not double. Okay. Uh, Is that because the, the ore body is relatively homogenous or, or, or consistent? You're able to kind of predict that? It, it's um, relatively, but... It's a um, it's a dike swarm, so um, it, it's uh, so when we delivered our mineral resource, it was 0.44 percent, uh, but we've got uh, many many drill intersections which are you know in the high sixes and sevens and even one percent, and uh, so the mineral resource is based on a block model, captures a lot of the uh, rubbish which would obviously be sorted out when we're mining. So the head grade will be naturally a bit higher than the resource grade. Right. And you, you, okay. And, and give me some sense of the, the time frame because you use words like accelerated um, in your in your PowerPoint. You're, you're kind of keen to move this thing to some level of pace. So can you sort of lay out what your, your vision of how this works? Well, we um, so we we brought on a second drill rig uh, probably six weeks ago. Um, our drilling rates in Thailand are quite cheap. Um, our actual overall costs in Thailand are, are quite cheap. It costs us about a third, um, uh, about a third what it would cost to operate in Australia or Canada. So we get a lot of bang for our buck. We want to uh, get our drilling program finished in the next three or so months. Um, we're doing some MET test work now. Some, we'll start some ore test work. And I expect that we'll be able to deliver a scoping study in uh, December. Um, the work we're doing is feasibility level, so um, I, I expect we can move straight through to a feasibility. And our objective is to deliver a feasibility and be positioning to lodge for a uh, mining license application at the end of 2023. Okay, that's accelerated indeed. Okay, that's pretty punchy. Um, talk to me about the um, talk to me about the network. So that is all that local. We've got network happening with a group called uh, Bigram. It's a Chinese group in Beijing. Bigram's done a lot of work with uh, Lapidolite, a lot of Chinese MET test work. 
given China are the biggest processors of lithium, to us it made a lot of sense to use the people who have done a lot of the work. So that's underway now. Um, interestingly, at, um, at Brion Kiet, our oxide zone, which makes up around 30% of our resource, um, uh, the recoveries we're getting from that are quite good. I can't say numbers at the moment, uh, but they're good. So that means the oxide zone is, uh, um, has the potential to be economic. I've got to use the word potential, uh, but um, we think it'll be economic. Um, uh, and so that's going quite well. Okay, so th that's at thirty percent. Interesting. Okay, um, and so the, so obviously initially, I know you've got someone on the exploration side. He, sorry, you, you, the, the technical chap you referred to earlier, um, he, Grant he, Harmon. Grant is focused on what precisely? Uh, Grant Harmon is focused on uh, pro lithium production, so chemical processing. We've got um, uh, another person, uh, a person uh, on the. Um, Beneficiation work, but that's a lot simpler. Okay, so, but but initially, initially, I mean, obviously, you can. I guess it depends what the market's doing. Depends what reaction you get from the market, etc. To be able to raise money efficiently, um, you know, as to where you start with with. I guess with the oxides, it gives you some option in the sense that you might just kind of focus on the on um, a concentrate first. Is that the idea? Or no, we, you think uh, you can move further our downstream. Our objective is to produce chemicals, right? Um, which, yeah, which sounds which sounds good, right? Because it it gives potential re rates and it's all downstream. And yeah, but what's the reality of going from where you are today to to that point? I think um, oh, it's easily doable. Um, so lipidolite uh, in uh, is being processed in China. Uh, they're using acid leach and uh, sulfate roast, so two different processes. They're producing battery-grade chemical. The processes, processes aren't um, overly complex. Mm. Uh, they're, you know, slight variations on what's happening in spodumene. Uh, so I, I really don't see any problems achieving that. One of the advantages we do have uh, in Thailand is it's a low-cost environment, or Southeast Asia is. So Thailand and Malaysia are both complex industrial economies. Thailand speaks for about 30% of Japan's uh, outbound FDI. There's, um, I think there's 18 auto producers in Thailand. So it's the biggest auto manufacturing market uh, in Southeast Asia and the fourth largest in Asia. They've got an a EV, quite a sophisticated EV policy framework. They want to see 30% of vehicles produced uh, uh, in Thailand to be EV by 2030, so 30 by 30. Um, there's a lot of incentives for uh, battery production there, electric vehicle production, and we expect some of those incentives will flow down to chemical manufacture. And what it means too, outside of the cost environment, so the cost environment itself means that um, actually building a, a mine, building a processing facility, um, we, we expect to achieve that uh, at a lower cost than a lot of our peers would. So if we look at Quinana and what it's cost Tianchi to build that and what the actual operating costs are, you know, in, in Australia, it's a high cost environment, whereas in Southeast Asia, it's not. So I think it's very doable. We also have an ecosystem there developing uh, in uh, uh, battery production. There's a few Thai listed companies who are interested. Um, there are some Japanese companies which are uh, also interested. So I expect that we'll be able to uh, look at some joint venture 
um, opportunities uh, as we progress to a scoping study. Okay, you're, I'm listening to you, you know, comparing to all the other lithium CEOs, juniors that I've, I've spoken to who, you know, are less optimistic than you in terms of you know the way they kind of run through this process. You you, you seem to think, uh, uh, well, the language you're using is, is oh, don't worry, it, it, it's it's fine, it's easy. We just we 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 feel that this will be an an easier process than you perhaps yeah. can imagine, Matt. Um, I'm I'm trying to get, understand why that why that is because you're saying we're we're going to be a chemicals company from being a miner to a chemicals company is 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 a, is a bit of a leap. Um, you know whether it's and, and you know whether whether it's a carbonate or high or even you know further down like yeah. hydroxide. Um, a lot of skills needed. You you kind of referenced a few things there. One, China a few times. That's, so you know they are the preeminent. Technical uh, gurus in in this space, um, and you know Japanese or even local um, battery um, yeah. manufacturers. So, it, how do how do I'm coming back to strategy? How do you piece this together? Is it a case that you you bring in the relevant experts and you are in fact the miner in all of this, or do you feel that you can genuinely position yourself, your company um, downstream? Most definitely, because it all comes down to people. If I was a, talking to you as a, a chemical company and I had the people to build a chemical facility and I was looking to secure offtake from my company, you would look at that and go, okay, they've got the professional people, they, can, they, they have the ability to build this. There's no, that's no real difference than uh, our company then bringing in that expertise, whether it's through joint venture or uh, consultants, et cetera. Um, we bring in that expertise to achieve the same uh, same objective. So I don't see it as a big problem. I think what um, uh, a company like us needs to do and a person like me as a manager needs to realise is that I don't have the expertise. I can't uh, tell you that I do and I will be running it. What I need to do is find the right people, and I think we're starting to do that already, to bring in who can, who can um, with confidence, tell us, how we can do it and which direction we need to go and and where we need to avoid um, to, to fall foul of our plans. Right. And, and how does that work in terms of the conversation, the narrative um, in, in Thailand then? Because you're a mining operation in, in Thailand, you're an Aussie company and you're bringing experts from around the world, whether it be Japan, China, or where, wherever, um, presumably you'll be shipping this Offshore, so how, how do you kind of maintain that conversation of this is this is good for Thailand and um, you know and all the other things that you need to talk about, you know, net zero well, and etc. So how do they view you at that point? Well, our plan is to produce a chemical in Thailand, and uh, given that it's a low volume, uh, it's, it would be ten thousand tons per annum. Um, that would be going into the Thai ecosystem. So in Thailand, south of Bangkok, is the Eastern Economic Corridor, which is a very large area, a lot of auto manufacturing there and so on. So um, we have two paths. We'd be producing a um, uh, either a concentrate near our site and shipping it up to the EEC, or we'd be, be producing a, um, a chemical at our site and shipping that up to the EEC. There, that's what we're exploring in our scoping study at the moment. When we're talking to the Thai authorities and we talk about um, delivering a chemical into the Thai EV ecosystem, we get a very good reception. And in fact, part of the reason uh, we want to do that 
is um, from a, a political standpoint, if we're contributing, contributing to the Thai industrial um, system, we get a much better reception than if we want to export a concentrate. What's that look like uh, financially? Are there any incentives for you for, by the um, Thai government? I, I actually can't say whether there are, uh, but we expect that if we're producing a chemical, there will be some incentives which flow down to us. So there's a, um, for the EV and battery producers, um, there are uh, uh, tax breaks, income tax breaks, there are uh, import tax um, uh, exemptions on equipment and so on. So. I expect that uh, some of that would flow to us. Okay, I, I, I guess it's early days as well. Just put out a main resource, right? And so you, 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 you've right. got a ways, a ways to go, and those conversations will come. Yeah. Um, come back to that. Did you say uh, you, uh, the burn is about a, a million bucks a month at the moment? A uh, million bucks a quarter. A million bucks a quarter. Okay, cool. Can you can you break that down for me? Because the um, you said it's going to be cheap to operate there. So where where is the money being allocated to? What's it on? Uh, right now, uh, probably. Uh, 60% of our expenditure is into, into our tyre operations. So that includes drilling, uh, contractors, our people, um, assays, etc. Okay. And then the rest is um, into corporate. Okay. 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 So that's about eight. eight. Okay. So that gives you about eight, 18 months runway. So I guess, um, yeah. right. And to, so you're fine. You're not going to raise money this year, are you? Not in this market. <laughs> not in this market. No, no. Uh, well, so um, you'd be surprised. Some I, people do because they, you know they, they will argue the case that it's what I do with that money and you know and um, getting getting ahead yeah. of the your peer your eighty peers that you look at. Yeah. Maybe that makes sense, but not for you. There are many ways to justify these things, but um, uh, it's all about dilution. And given that um, management um, has a large shareholding in the company, we're very focused on. Uh, getting a lot of bang for our buck. So every dollar we spend, uh, if it's wasted, it's dilutionary. Um, if we raise money at the wrong price, it's dilutionary. Um, so we're looking at the current environment. Um, I'm hoping that we start to see a bit of a bounce back in the next, you know, three to six months. Um, otherwise, things will be looking quite dim when it comes to uh, raising capital. And you never want to negotiate from whether we can. Um, so, I mean, just talk about the share register. Obviously, management are setting up, but you guys have got the cheap stuff at the beginning. So, but who's actually put the the hard dollars in? Uh, Pan Asia started as a private company. It was a private company through until we listed in uh, twenty twenty. Um, for most of that com- company's life, I funded it personally. And um, how, how many dollars is that? So, how many dollars are you into this board? It's only a, uh, it's a bit over a million. Okay. Uh, but what I've found is that the, the point where the most dilution happens is when you've got very little to show, um, you know, you're, you've got a lot of moose pasture. That's where you get completely killed. So um, we did a lot of work on identifying our assets. Uh, then we, um, uh, and that included a lot of soil geochemistry, Etc. And when we were at a point where we had something which looked pretty real, then we started looking for third-party funding. We brought in some um, uh, mainly private individuals uh, pre-IPO. Uh, that allowed us to do some drilling. So when we took it to IPO, we actually had um, uh, assets which had had drill holes put through them and they were de-risked substantially. And that allowed us to um, IPO at a, at a reasonable market capitalization. 
Okay. And so who else is, who, which of the other directors have put money in? I, I assume David has. Myself, I'm the largest shareholder. David Doherty, um, he, he's the second largest shareholder, one of our directors. And in fact, the Kaosun asset came in through him through a farming uh, many years ago. Um, so that's uh, how he's there. Then David Hobby and Tanisak Chaniapun are smaller shareholders. Um, and uh, have put in a lot of time. So time is worth money too. It is. Well, that's, well there's another interesting debate we, which we, should, we could argue <laughs> either way. Yes. Um, okay, so um, can you just can, give me a sense of, right, so if you're not going to raise money this year, do you feel like you're going to be able to move at the pace you want or, again, is that kind of market dependent? You know, because, again, coming back to your comments about, you know, accelerated timeframes, et cetera. One thing we do have the luxury of is we can turn up or down our drilling, our biggest expense, pretty easily. And so our drilling right now, we're running two rigs and three shifts. Um, we can turn that up to four if we need to. At this point, I'm a little bit reluctant. I want to see uh, the market sort of recover a bit. Um, and, and as it recovers, we can turn it right up if we want. So... There's a lot of flexibility there, but I'm a big believer in in that we we keep working. I don't like the idea of um, you know things start looking a bit grim, so we all stop every stop all expenditure and uh, and just sit there and wait. That's not fair to shareholders. And I think in this market too, um, investors are willing to reward companies who are um, producing the results. And um, talk to me a little bit about just for, for the the. Um People perhaps don't understand that as well. Uh, Aussie tax loss season, we've just kind of come through that. I mean, how do markets usually behave before and after that point? Sorry, what's that? The the Australian Australian tax loss season, which is sort of, as I understand it, sort of June um, period. In, in, the, in the North American markets, you sort of see very diff- definitive patterns at the end of the, uh, there's as a calendar year. What, what happens in yeah. Australia? Is it predictable? Um, are you saying, did you say tax losses? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, because we're a Singapore company, we're not, um, we're, we're not subject to Australian tax law. Oh, but, so, so where, where are most of your shareholders from then? Australia. Um, right. That's what I mean. Uh, so as a, uh, for them as shareholders? Yeah. Um, yeah, right. Um, well, um, the, the tax year end here is 30 June. So we did see a few investors selling off. Um, uh, and I expect buying back in after 30 June, but it wasn't uh, big. Uh, I mean, I didn't notice a lot of that. So I don't think it really affected us. It seems with some companies that um, it's um, quite popular, but I haven't seen it too, too much of it. And, and is, that, is that because, I mean, you're quite tightly held in the sense that, you know, your, your top six shareholders are about 50% of the, the, yeah. the register, right? So, I mean, what's the, what's the retail component? What's the sorry? How big is the retail component as a percentage of? The uh, oh, um, well, we've got uh, just under twenty two hundred shareholders, okay. uh, and most of those would be retail shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did notice that the number of shareholders dropped probably by about a hundred leading up to thirty June. Oh, so not big at all. So okay, and as a percentage, no, a percentage in terms of liquidity, you didn't notice anything, right? No. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. We haven't got a lot of liquidity at the moment either. Um, we've been quite illiquid. So what do you want to do about that? What are you going to do? 
while I'm talking to you. Well, that's a, that, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good start, but you also, you also need to make some available, right? So um, yeah. how, how, do you, how do you tackle that problem? Well, it's, it's hard to tackle if your register's tight and not selling. Um, now that's a positive. Um, I guess, uh, I, I, to be honest, I can't answer your question right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Paul, that's a really nice run through. Um, I like the, I like the confidence. Um, and I'll, we will wait for the update to um, the resource, which is which is sort of imminent, and the and the economic study um, as well. You don't think you're kind of rushing too too quickly into the economic study. You feel you've kind of got the size to actually come to the market with something meaningful, there, do you? Um, I think so. Uh, uh, when when I look at some of our peers, so we're looking to. Uh, produce a study which um, gives us 10,000 tonnes of LCE for at least 10 years. So it's bankable, providing it's economic. Um, if I look at some of our peers, um, you know, it's not as large as some, but it's it's double some. So I think it's okay. Um, but given what's happening in our drilling, I think we can up that anyway. So, I mean, I'd prefer to see something around 15,000 tonnes. One of the advantages we've got, so if you look at a lot of the Brian projects, they're all 20 to 25 at least. And that's uh, got partly to do with the economics. You need the scale to make it economic. Whereas um, if we look at uh, some of our peer uh, feasibility studies, um, it's not absolutely necessary to be producing plus 20,000 tonnes to get those, get those economies of scale. Right. And, and, and just like one, one last one. So in, terms, in terms of the, um, the byproducts, et cetera, I mean, they're gonna, do you think that you feel at this point you know enough to say they may be able to... Add something meaningful to the bottom line. Well, in the current price environment, um, I think realistically the byproducts uh, would be quite a small percentage of your revenue line. Okay. If if this was the market in uh, three or four years, which I'm not sure it will be, um, but but the byproducts. Uh, uh, well, it depends which process path we go to. So by, byproducts also introduce some other problems. Um, if your byproducts aren't saleable, they become toxic waste. So you've got to be quite careful about your market there. So when we um, look at producing a concentrate, we'll have tin and tantalum credits and similar to, say, Piedmont, we'll have uh, quartz and feldspar, uh, which we can sell into our local markets. So it's one of the advantages of being where we are. And then in the chemical processing stage, uh, there is the potential to produce uh, potassium and a rubidium and, and cesium. And this is something we're exploring now. Isn't an advantage uh, to, to um, pro, uh, uh, produce those credits um, or are there disadvantages? And, and um, sometimes the credits aren't all advantages and, and that's what we're trying to explore at the moment. Okay, okay, great. Well, look, Paul, I appreciate your time today. Um, we will stay in touch and hopefully we'll see you soon. Thanks, Matt. I'll just leave you with a couple of thoughts before we sign off. Uh, first, uh, I'd like to reiterate uh, 10.4 million tonnes at 0.44% Li2O. It may seem low as in a grade, but for lipidolite, it's quite a high grade. And we're seeing in China that lipidolite is actually being processed quite cheaply. Uh, Thailand, very low cost environment, industrial, uh, center, advanced industrial economy, a lot of opportunity for um, uh, the EV sector, a lot of policy uh, policy work around the EV environment and LIB manufacturer, and I think we can slot into that beautifully. And then um, we just saw Tianqi Corp's uh, prospectus released, had the cost curve on it, and for the first time we've seen lipidolite production well below the majority um, of spodumene costs. 
Um, and I think that's quite exciting for a company like us.